Good evening, everyone, and welcome. This is Twist Gaming, where you get to play board games with us. This is our Great Game Hunter podcast, where we go through the ins and outs of Kingdom Death Monster. Uh, all the monsters, all the strategies, all of our builds, and all the fun. Uh, but first off, let's do some introductions. Who are we? I am Matt, and right now I am joined with my lovely co-host, Josh. Say hi, Josh. Hi, Josh. Thank you. I appreciate that. And we will be joined about halfway through this uh, with none other than Mr. Fenn, who is the other regular co-host on this as well. Uh, so first and foremost, before we continue onward, we'd really like to point out that this stream and all of this week's streams are sponsored by Mortals Descent of the Gods by Partial Arc Studios, as well as Fruit Ninja by Lucky Duck. So we did those spotlights earlier this week. Check them out on our video on demand service at twistgaming.tv if you get a chance. So as a recap, Josh, what happened on our last Twi- uh, Great Game Hunters podcast? You were just about to say Twitch Place Kingdom Death. Uh, last podcast I, of I Great Game Hunters, did. we uh, we talked. We started talking about Spidiculous, and uh, we talked about his lore. We talked about his hunt and the fight against them, and we left off to start talking about his hit locations and his resources and everything like that. Um, that, that that's where we're going to start off today's podcast. All right, so starting off with the hit locations, before we jump into that, is there anything that you wanted to say that maybe we glossed over on the last one, or you just wanted to clarify further, or are we good to go? I think we are good to go. That's a surprise. All right, so getting into the hit locations, uh, do you want to start with anyone in specific, Josh, or... Yeah, let's let's start with the tricky four legs because that this is kind of like a main part of this fight. All right, so the tricky four legs is a, uh, a specially printed card here. It's got a reaction wound on it, and this reaction cannot be canceled. So sorry to all of the Qatar masters out there. This uh, too bad, so sad. Uh, if you do wound it, you hack off one of the spider, uh, one of Spidiculus's legs. It twitches on the ground. Place this card under the twitching leg pile card. So, Josh, what exactly does that mean? Uh, so that's one of the AI cards, uh, the trade cards, I believe. And as you take his legs off, I'm grabbing the card right now. Uh, he kind of loses his movement, and uh, and when there becomes eight, he becomes limbless. And uh, there's a special story that happens if you cut off all of eight. Spidiculous legs, and it's it's fun. <clears throat> so twitching leg pile there, that trade card. Let's just review that super quick. And that's the monster has minus one movement for each card under the, uh, the twitching leg pile until they're eight cards and it becomes limbless. So for each leg you hack off, he loses a movement, which is quite nice. And then limbless is the monster's movement is three, regardless of movement modifiers. So he just rolls around three spaces all the time as a big spider ball. And then during the aftermath, uh, oh man. Uh, you're going to do a story event called Spidisis Sisyphus. At least you didn't make me try to say it. I'm uh, now. You, now you made yourself do it. So what? Let's hear you try, Josh. Spidisis. There we go. That's that's my my wording. Uh, it wasn't as bad as I thought it was going to be. So props to you for that. So there are. I'm assuming eight of those. Uh, cards, or not eight, because it doesn't say to, to dis, dis, uh, discard that from the game. So how many of those tricky four-leg cards are there, Josh? Uh, there's only four. Okay, so there's four, so it's kind of banking on you 
having to reshuffle the hit location deck if you want to trigger Spit of Sisyphus. No, those actually go under the Twitch and Lake pile, so they get removed from the hit location deck. But there's four other cards that do the same thing. That's the Cunning Forelegs. Ah, the Cunning Forelegs. So the Cunning Forelegs is a reaction failure. Uh, if the there's actually two reactions on this. So for a failure, if the attacker is within two spaces of Spidiculus, they shall suffer bash and knockback five. So you're gonna get knocked down, knockback five spaces if you fail. So I'm guessing these are more of uh, Spidiculus's front legs. And then if you do wound the monster, the reaction there is you hack off one of Spidiculus's legs. It twitches on the ground, place this card under the twitching leg pile. This one cannot be canceled. So you actually could cancel the failure reaction on this card if you were to fail it. So that's something to note. Yeah, so this is eight of his cards are to hack off his legs. Uh, he has four tricky and four cunning legs. And uh, it's your choice to figure out which one's which. All right, so those are those account for eight of the hit location cards there. So you can uh, hack off the monster's legs and reduce its movement throughout the game. Uh, personally, we haven't had a chance to do this in our campaigns that we've run. We've rarely fought Spidiculus, and when we have, we haven't come anywhere near close to hacking off all eight legs. And uh, we'll get into the Spidiculus story event later, right, Josh? Yeah, we'll talk about that a little bit later. So those are the two special cards there. So moving into the regular cards, uh, what's the first one that you have in front of you, Josh? And I'll see if I could find it on my sheet here. We're going to go into the segmented draw. So the next four cards we're going to go uh, all have the same header text. Um, it's if you hit with a spear, you gain plus three strength when attempting to win this location. So find out. Spidiculous doesn't like spears. It's kind of hanging up on there. So it makes sense that uh, you got to stab him with a spear. It, yeah, it makes sense, and uh, so it's a nice little thing that will help you uh, deal with this pain in the rear-end monster. So the first one you said is a segmented jaw, and that's the Spidiculus emits a bizarre call. Full move all spider links toward the attacker, and again, this is on a wound reaction. Full move the Spidiculus away from all threats. Cancel all, threat, uh, all hits now out of range. So he runs away from you if you wound him. And then if you do crit him, all non-deaf insane survivors gain one survival. The attacker gains one serrated fang spidiculous resource. So he's making a sound if you crit him, too. It's just uh, a sound in a good way. I mean, yeah, he's screaming in pain. That's always fun. All right, so next we have the uh, segmented abdom- abdomen. Ugh. Again, this is another plus three strength when you hit with a spear. It's got a reflex. Full move that's ridiculous away from all threats. Cancel all hits out of range. Full move spiralings towards attacker. So similar to the last one, but this is a reflex instead of a wound. And then, uh, there's a critical wound, which is a persistent injury. Abnable. Matt, can you say that for me? Abdominal hernia. And that's whenever the spidiculus is critically wounded, it gains minus one toughness token. So that's a really good persistent injury. Um, and that's something we haven't really seen with the core game and Gorm yet is any persistent injury where if you critical more, it, it gives them minus token. So you could really, really hurt Spidey pretty bad. You just turn him into a big old softy. You turn him into a ball and you kick him around. You got the point there. Uh, so what else do we have? What's the next hit location card, Josh? Let's, let's go to the segmented ears. Again, it's a plus three strength when attempting to wound this location. Uh, failure. And that's got a 
failure reaction there, which is perform a basic action targeting the furthest survivor in range. So this is kind of going the opposite direction of the other ones, where instead of running away from everyone, he's going to run towards the furthest survivor. So he's going to start getting on the offensive with this one here. And then the crit location here is the attacker has thrown off the Spediculus's balance. The monster is dazed and gains minus one speed token until its next turn. A monster can be dazed once per round. So that's another interesting mechanic there, mechanism. Um, having it be a one-round temporary stat adjustment for the monster itself. I'm trying to think if that's something that we've seen before. Have we seen something like that in the past, Josh? Um, dazed? I don't... It's not a typical keyword, but th- there is a, like, the monster gains minus one toughness or something. Speed is typically not one of them. Um, but there's typically some, like, for the round, the monster gets this cards. All right. And I'm willing to bet that the next hit location card is the segmented arms. Uh, auxiliary eyes. Oh, darn it. Uh, the auxiliary eyes. So if you hit with the spear, gain plus three strength when attempting to win this location. And that reflex action is the spediculus plunges to the ground with surprising speed. All survivors adjacent to the monster, including those in its blind spot, which, remember, is technically directly underneath the monster, suffer bash and knock back five, and then perform spawn. So spawn's going to spawn his spiderlings, correct, Josh? Yep, all the spiderlings. So then it's got a critical wound location, which is, the spediculus's scream is intense. All non-deaf insane survivors gain one survival, and the spediculus gains minus one accuracy token. So there's a lot of stuff having to do with Spediculus screaming in this. He's a screamer. Oh, boy. <laughs> um, he So as going back to the other cards, uh, pretty much majority of them have to deal with him uh, doing something with his spiderlings, either sending his spiderlings in to kind of uh, mob you and surround you and draw you away from him, uh, or in this case, spawning more to help out in his endeavor. Yeah, he just, he wants to love you, or she wants to love you with the spiderlings or whatever. I don't know, they they don't really explain that whole gender thing with spider. It's ridiculous if it, how that works. It makes babies, so I'm assuming it's a girl. Um, Alright, so, segmented arms next. Uh, let's, let's click what, that's what you wanted to do? Sure, so the segmented arms uh, has a wound reaction. And that's the Spediculus rears up and swipes at the attacker. If the attacker is within two spaces of Spediculus, they suffer bash and knock back five. Otherwise, full move the monster towards the attacker. So it's interesting that the uh, the monster is going to run towards the attacker if they are not within two spaces. So it's like he's interested in what you're doing, hurting him, and runs up to say hello. Uh, but then you have a critical wound location, and that's the Spediculus gains minus one damage token. So we've seen kind of a, a full gambit already. We've seen minus one movement, minus accuracy, minus damage, and minus speed, um, as well as minus toughness. The only thing we really haven't seen is minus evasion. All right. So you want to go to the segmented knee joint? Sure thing. So the segmented knee joint is a failure reaction. And that is, replace the egg sac terrain tile closest to the Spediculus with a Spiderling. Full move the Spediculus away from all threats, cancel all hits, now outside of range. So basically, when you hit him in, if you don't hit him in the knee, one of his eggs hatch, and then he runs away from you. Yeah. So, hatching eggs, 
hit, I don't know how a knee hit makes an egg hatch, but we'll we'll go with it. It's a it's a knee hit miss. So you so you hit the egg sac instead of the knee, and then it hatches. Yeah, I, I guess that makes sense. All right. So next up, we have the segmented tornature. Trochanter. The segmented trochanter, and that is a wound reaction. And the spediculus extends its legs, lifting its body high into the air. And all melee attacks not made with spear weapons. So this is an interesting one uh, because, well, it's basically saying that all melee attacks fail unless there is spear because he's able to push himself that high up into the air. It's kind of really cool from a visual standpoint, and it's definitely a kind of a unique mechanic mechanism here that you could only wound it with that specific type of weapon in that case. Um, or ranged weapons. And then uh, the second part of that is perform spawn, then full move all spider links toward the attacker. So it's going to spawn some babies and have them move towards you right off the bat. Yeah, and there's two of these hit location cards in the deck. So uh, let's go to the old um, segmented Taurus. Tarsus. The segmented Tarsus is a reflex reaction, and that's full move Spidiculus away from all threats. Cancel all hits now outside of range. And full move all spiderlings towards the attacker. So again, you're seeing kind of a common theme here of the spider uh, Spidiculus running away and sending its babies to go and hurt you while mommy runs away. Uh, and this does have a crit location. So if you crit here, hairy protective spines fall to the ground wriggling. The attacker gains a survival, and the monster gains a minus one toughness token. So again, they're going to lose some toughness there because you're apparently giving him a shave. I mean, you want some nice shaved legs, right? Can I go out and look pretty? Sure. All right, so next up we have the uh, the last segmented sternum, which is the super dense location in Spidiculus deck. So this is the sole uh, super dense location, correct? Yeah, correct. This is the only one that's in the deck. So this is a reflex reaction, and the Spidiculus plunges to the ground with surprising speed. All survivors adjacent to the monster, including those in its blind spot, suffer bash and knockback five. So that's similar to what we've seen before. Uh, this does have a crit location, and if you crit here, the monster's mouth emits a scream like a like grinding metal. That sounds terrible. Um, all non-death survivors gain three insanity, and the monster suffers one additional wound. So, two wounds if you wound his segmented sternum. Always a good thing. Extra wound, you know. Unless you're trying to cut off all his legs, then that's not so great. That's true. It could have its downfall in this circumstance. Because uh, you can do some cool stuff with the uh, ballless uh, spediculus. The legless ball? Yeah. Uh, He's not ballless. I mean, maybe. Who knows? <laughs> I mean, the, all the female lions have ding-dongs, so maybe all female spediculuses have uh, balls. That's true. They might be way up there, according to Adam Poots. All right, uh, the last card before we get to the trap card is the forehead stalk. All right, so the forehead stalk, that is a reflex reaction, and that's the attacker gains the priority target token. All spiderlings perform spiderling action, targeting the attacker one at a time. So all the spiderlings are going to attack you one at a time if you uh, hit this location. 
and are not able to cancel the reaction. And then it has a critical location, and that is the spiderlings explode, move all, remove all spiderlings from the showdown board. So if you boop them on the forehead, all the spiderlings burst into a ball of goop, and you get rid of them. You're cutting off the little that that like hangs the people. His little puppet thing. Oh, his hang dangle. Yeah, it's the hang dangle. You just you take that off. You're like bam, no. And apparently, I guess that controls all the spiderlings, and they just don't know what they're doing. They blow up. I I mean, I guess that makes some sense. That's his antenna. So I think you said that the uh, the trap card was the last card, then, right? Yeah, trap card's last. All right, so that's the pheromone feeding frenzy. I feel like I needed a really cool echo to my voice for that. Hey, yeah, and my, my you made my speakers go staticky. <laughs> All right, so this is the trap card. All survivors are doomed. Perform a spawn, so more spideys are going to summon, and then full move Spidiculous away from the attacker. So yet again, Spidiculous runs away. Place all spiderlings that are currently on the showdown board adjacent to the attacker or as close as possible. Spiderlings perform a spiderling action targeting the attacker one at a time. So it's not actually the spidiculous attacking you during the trap card. It is the spiderlings. So if you are able to keep the, spider- the board fairly clear of spiderlings, this isn't a terrible trap. You're still doomed, but I've seen much, much worse. But this is also, if there is a bunch out there, that means the attacker doesn't get screwed. Everybody gets screwed if there's a bunch of spiderlings on because they're all doomed and they can't do anything. Well, but you're placing them all as close to the attacker as possible. So they're all going to attack the attacker. So it doesn't say that they're targeting the closest survivor. I mean, they could once that happens. It depends how you're all getting up and everything. So it could be could be a little nasty. So that's that's the trap card. It's... It's not as bad as other monsters. It's not the. It's somewhat gameable if you keep the board clear. I mean, the monster's still going to spawn spiderlings, but again, if you if you do your maintenance, then it shouldn't be too much of a problem. And that's the hit location deck. So Spidey has a pretty small deck, and eight of the cards are to cut off his legs. But then there was like, let me count again. All right, because I was looking at this deck beforehand, and I was concerned that there wasn't enough cards in my sheet. But apparently I had them all. It's just that eight of them account for the cunning four legs or the tricky four legs. Yeah, so he has a deck of 20 cards, and eight of them are his legs. So he's mostly legs, which is true. Yeah, I mean, if you've seen the model, he is mostly legs. All right, so after that... uh Chop up the uh, good old spider. Spidiculous. Uh, let's look at some of his resources. Uh, let's just take a look at his resource deck. It's actually, each one's pretty much unique. There's only two cards that have a duplicate. So he's got a pretty much unique resource thing. So first up, we have the uh, large appendages. And uh, I like the flavor text in here. They could come in handy, Matt. Get it? Handy? Because they're, they're hands. Uh, there's two of those in the deck and then there's the small appendages and those are bones the large ones the small appendages are the inner hands look surprisingly human so they're they're kind of creepy looking you got two of those they're hides though they're not bones like the other ones uh, next up we have the exoskeleton so his like kind of looks like a crab um, mild 
malleable interlocking plates, uh, and it's a hide. We have his uh, venom sack, which is an organ and it's consumable. Which uh, consume archive this card and roll a d10 on a one through five. You die instantly, and on a six plus, you gain the death touch secret fighting art. I have no idea what that is. We're gonna take a look at that. I'm kind of interested to see what that is because I don't recall ever seeing Death Touch Secret Fighting Art. Well, let me pull that out now. We'll, we'll go over it now. That sounds like a fun time. So, where does this ridiculous keep its venom sack, Josh? I don't. Where do spiders keep their venom sacks? I would assume it's kind of by their mouth because they, they bite with venom, right? But maybe it uses its venom in its hang dangler. Maybe. Alright, so Death Touch Secret Fighting Art. It's not a fighting art I've seen before. Um, Death Touch. Gain plus one accuracy when attacking with fist and tooth. Uh, when you wound a monster, it gains minus one toughness until the end of your attack. Uh, you cannot use this if you are a male. So, it's female. That's only. interesting. I'm, that's the first card that we've seen like that, no? Or in terms of fighting arts? I think so. There's not many gender... Uh, specific arts, fighting arts. How do you feel about this one? Plus one accuracy with fits into is nice, especially if you get this stacked with um, burning. What is it? I forgot the uh, sh- red one. Red fist. No, the uh, basically gives your fist uh, sharp. Um, oh, acid palms. As- acid, acid palms. So I, I can make that makes it a little bit better. And then you give a minus one toughness token if you wound. That's always a good thing. I mean, it's good, but it's only till the end of the attack, so I don't know how good it really is. If you attack first, do a wound, and let everyone beat on it afterwards, then you're good. So it's helpful for a level one up fist and tooth. It's, oh, it's, it's your the attack. end of your attack. So that's when people surge into your attack, or it makes it easier to wound on the additional hits if you have high speed. Yeah, yeah, it plus one accuracy isn't great. If you're trying to train fist and tooth, I think this is decent as something to have, but I don't know if I would chance to ch- use a chance or if I mean if it's a nobody, be like here you can you can drink this, and if you get it, we'll, we can try to make you a fist and tooth person. That's the only thing yeah. I can think of. Considering the risk to get this, the fact that you could only use it on female survivors, and you know, it, and it comes from a resource that you have to by chance pull from the deck, I feel like the reward here is a little low, but it's not terrible. Yeah, at least this is not a secret fighting art, so you like have to try to intentionally get it. So you can't be like, "Oh, I drew this on a dude; I can't do anything," unless like you don't know what you're doing. But once you know, you can kind of prevent that. The more you know. Alright, the next up is the Arachna Heart. Which looks like a horn. Cold to the touch even when freshly removed. It's kind of creepy. So what is that card, Josh? If you could adjust it in the card cam a little bit. It is an organ, um, and it's it's his heart. Or her heart, I should say. That It's so weird because it doesn't look anything like a heart. Oh, looks like looks like a horn. Definitely looks like unless that's what spider heart, unless that's what spider hearts look like. I mean, I have no idea. I have no idea what the organs of a spider looks like. Um, next up, oh, this is interesting. This we have the stomach, which is another organ, and it's a consume archive this card to gain plus one XP. 
that's hard XP. So that's a way to age up. It's kind of cool. That's pr- that's pretty handy. I actually really like that. That's really awesome from an organ resource. Next, we have the spinnerets. I believe that's pronounced, and it's an organ scrap. And it says more complex than any device. They, I don't know what part of that spider that's supposed to be. Well, that's going to be whatever makes the web. Ah, this is something in the uh, the buttocks area. Does a spider have a butt? I think so. I mean, it goes to the bathroom, doesn't it? I don't know, and we'll probably leave that at that. <laughs> Weird questions to ask, Matt. Uh, we have some unlaid eggs. Uh, there's an organ consumable. Uh, during the settlement phase, you may consume and archive these delicious little eggs to gain 10 survival. So you need some survival, you eat some eggs. I mean, eggs are good for you. Especially raw eggs. High in, high in protein, right? You can be like Rocky. I mean, uh, you need a blender to shake, make a shake out of them, right? That should be an innovation. The spediculous blender so you can make shakes out of the raw eggs. I imagine it would be a scrap blender and it's just a bunch of scrap in a pile. Look, I, I can see that. We'll go with that. Uh, next up, we have the eyeballs. And it's got like eight eyes. Is that right? Spiders have eight eyes? Eight eyes, eight legs? Each points in a different direction. Uh, it's just an organ resource. Nothing special. We have the uh, chitin, which is a hide, a flaky, bitter smelling husk. We have the uh, surrogated fangs. It's bone. It's got its teeth. Uh, and this has a cool thing. So if you have nightmare training, you can use an endeavor to razor push-ups. And you roll d10. On a 1 through 3, you gain a random disorder. And on a 4+, plus, gain plus 1 permanent strength. The fangs are crushed. Archive this card. So you get a plus 1 strength from these if you have nightmare training. That's pretty good. So, like, strength, I don't really value that high in the grand scheme of things because there's so many ways to work around it. But... Having a plus one strength on a four plus roll and then the downsides only you get a disorder, that's not bad at all. That's, a, that's actually a pretty cool uh, resource there. And then worst case scenario, you can still use it as a bone. Yeah, I mean, it's it's pretty cool. Next we have up is the thick web silk. Uh, impossible to pierce. Uh, so this is one thing Spidey brings into the game is silk. And this is a silk slash hide. And uh, we'll start talking about that when we get into the gear um, for Spidey. So two more things to note is there's two strange resources. There's a bunch of web silk strange resources, which is another silk resource. And then the silken nervous system, um, which is an organ. And we'll talk about those and the gear they make. So Matt, what happens when you beat Spidey? Uh, I don't have that in front of me, but I can get that in front of me if you riff for a second. All right. All right. You, I can go over it if you want. Sure. Why don't you go over that? All right. To kill Spidey, you get your normal, uh, you know, you're on XP, your rewards. The settlement gains silk refining innovation. So what is silk refining innovation? Uh, you tell me. It is another innovation. It gives you plus one survival limit and it lets you do a couple story events. Uh, silk surgery. Uh, this is one of the events, uh, you can convert one silk resource into a hide basic resource, or you spend two silk, one bone, and one organ to build the silk mill settlement location. So we'll talk about those in a second. So you get that. 
so that's that that uh oh goodness that in, uh, oh my goodness the innovation thank you that innovation for silk refining basically allows you to if you don't want to make any of this ridiculous gear you don't have a wasted resource in that silk sitting around you can convert it to a hide and make it useful yeah uh, and we'll go over that card in a minute. Uh, let's just talk about the rest of the rewards you get for Spidiculous. Uh, when the, su- the survivors defeat Spidiculous, they suffer its revenge. If Taken is already anywhere on the timeline, trigger it now. Otherwise, nominate a victorious survivor and remove them from the settlement. They're kidnapped by the vengeful Spidiculous at Taken, survivor's name, to timeline four lantern years from now. The group gains the following rewards. Uh, level one, you get four basics, four spider, ridiculous. Uh, two is four and six. And three is four and eight, and you get the silken nervous system stranger resource. Um, the other thing is, if the settlement innovates scarification, then when they defeat a level three ridiculous, uh, if they have scarification, when they defeat a level three ridiculous, roll one d10 on a result of four plus, ridiculous stock remain Reminds the survivors of a lost friend. The survivor that dealt the kill and blow gains the following ability, rival scar, plus one permanent strength, and minus one permanent evasion. So that's from the story event before. So, first thoughts here. That sucks. <laughs> um, plus one strength is meh. Minus one evasion is friggin' terrible. So, I hate that. Um, second of all, having one of your victorious survivors removed from the game because the Spidiculous gets revenge on him. I remember this is why we stopped hunting the Spidiculous. Yeah, it's it's one of the most anti-fun thing about him is, you know, he someone gets taken. Um, and it's someone that's not even like a nobody. It's someone you had to go in the fight. So that means you have to bring someone that's kind of disposable to fight him. Um and that's a big issue a lot of people have with Spidiculous. I know that's one of Fen's biggest issue, and he he typically home rule uh, house rules that uh, Spidiculous takes a, random, a person from the settlement instead of the party to kind of make that not as bad. Even still, that that really sucks. Just because I'm I'm going through like oh the hunt events were interesting, the uh, the AI cards were interesting. The hit locations were interesting. And I'm just thinking now, like, huh, his gear sounds, I mean, like the resources with the silk, that sounds like it'll be fun. Why don't we fight Spidiculous more often? And that just gave me my answer. That's just like, oh, I don't want to have to deal with that. That just sounds awful. Yeah, so uh, let's take a look at the Taken event. So Taken, if if you leave Taken on the, the timetable and you don't go to rescue whoever's there, the monster has its revenge on the settlement. If the event was triggered during the settlement phase, nominate the survivors whose name is next to taken on the timeline event, then erase the event. Roll 1d10. 1 through 3. The nominated survivor is dead. The monster is still hungry. Nominate a returning survivor and remove them from the settlement. Add taken survivor's name to the timeline four years from now. So the person that had taken is dead, and someone else gets taken that you just brought back from the hunt. Yay. Uh, four through seven. The nominated survivor is dead. Place haunted on top of the settlement event deck and draw it next settlement phase. So we'll go into that settlement event card in a second. Uh, then last is eight through not eight through ten. The nominated survivor is dead. Their head is found hanging from a thread of silk at the edge of the settlement. Suffer minus two in, uh, endeavors next settlement phase. Add one skull basic resource to the settlement storage. So none of that is good at all. 
yeah, even even the best option there is still not even just, oh, your survivor's dead. It's, oh, your survivor's dead, and you lose two endeavors, and then the game just basically holds up a middle finger to your face. I really dislike everything about that. Yeah, and let's look at the uh, Haunted event real quick. So Haunted is the survivor with the lowest hunt XP chooses, chooses in case of tie, is convinced a powerful pre- presence is nearby, roll d10. Um, one through three, no one can spend any endeavors. Depending if you have, uh, Song of the Brave, you, everyone gets some insanity. If you do have it, if you don't, uh, the whole summit awakens in tier minus one endeavor. Return to survivor set their insanity to zero. Um, and then there's some other stuff that you get for that. It's not, it's not a horrible event, but it could be bad on a low roll that you lose all your endeavors. So, and that's gonna happen the year after the taken. Ooh. All right, so hopefully Taken's a little bit better if, you know, we go and try to get our survivor back. So so let's see what the rules like that that is. So Taken, if this event was triggered during the showdown phase, nominate the survivors, survivor whose name was next to the Taken on the timeline, and then erase the event. Roll 1d10. One, one through one to two, so one or two. A botched rescue. The nominated survivor suffers the dismembered arm, severe injury, and is returned to the settlement. Nominate return survivor and remove them from... From the settlement, add taken to the timeline four years from now. So you, you switch people with them. So you switch one of the return survivors. Yeah. So you still lose as, you still down a survivor. And right. someone lost an arm. And, and the person that lost, lost an arm. Alright, three through six. Timely rescue from the traumatic imprisonment. The nominated survivor gains a random disorder and is returned to settlement. Alright, not too bad. We get a disorder. That's okay, but we have to go rescue them. All right, and then a 7 through 10. A Darren Rescue. The nominated survivor is returned to the settlement and gains plus 2 courage and plus 2 understanding. Um, that's all right. It's okay. It's like, I mean, it's nice, but I, it's just a, I don't want to be forced to have to fight him again. It just seems like a pain in the ass. So, like, so every time you spice Pediculous, you're going to have to fight him twice, basically. Pretty much. Oh, besides your first time, because your first time he already takes someone. I believe in the first event he takes someone, or does he not? No, I don't think he takes someone in the first one. So every time you go, he's going to take someone, and you have to. In the next four years, you're like, I got to go back and get that person back. Otherwise, bad stuff could happen. And then, as long as you have a twenty percent chance of like, I got to go fight him again in another four years, and I lost an arm. So yeah, it's it's okay. No, it's not. It's it. I think in the uh, initial story event, that's where the Spidiculus kills one of the two rivals. So you lose someone right off the bat. Then you're going to get someone abducted when you go and fight them. And then if you don't roll well enough, then someone loses an arm. It just it sounds like a pain in the ass, and you can't even ignore it. You can't even be like, oh well, I don't care about the survivor anymore. Just leave him be because then Spidiculus might come back and steal someone else. All right, so. We talked about the rewards. Uh, let's just talk about real quick what happens if uh, Spidiculus defeats you. Uh, defeat the Spidiculus mounts a defeated survivor's corpse on its stock. Do not gain the benefits of your settlement's death principle for the last survivor killed the showdown. So you don't get extra endeavors for graves or an extra resource for um, cannibalism. Not, not too bad. No, that, there, it could be worse. So, what happens when we cut off all the legs, Matt? Uh, we get Spit of Sisyphus. Hey, you did it better than I would. Alright, so, 
um, this is the event that happens if you get that. Uh, if the settlement already has the legless ball innovation, you may, you may choose to skip this event. Otherwise, the survivors roll. They're still living capable back. They're still living captive back to the settlement. So we're rolling back spidiculous. And there's a really cool picture of, uh, the survivors rolling this giant ball without legs and a stalk, um, to the settlement. Um, Otherwise, they roll it back to settlement. The hardship of moving their children captive through the changing landscape give rise to new experiences. The survivors gain the legless ball and roll through the darkness. Gain the legless ball. The settlement gains the legless ball innovation. Add legless ball to the settlement innovation on the settlement record sheet. If the settlement already has legless ball innovation, gain the grin and visage rare gear instead. So, what is legless ball innovation? Matt, you want to read that off for us? Are you putting it in the camera for me? Yeah, there we go. Thank you so much. Uh, so, that is the legless ball innovation there, and it is departing survivors gain plus two insanity. Spend only one endeavor here per settlement phase. So, right off the bat, you get two insanity whenever you depart, which is interesting. Uh, and then the first option here is add one web silk strange resource to the settlement storage. And then the second option is a survivor with 10 plus insanity may put the spiniculus out of its misery, gain the grinning visage, rare gear, and lose this innovation. So basically, once per settlement phase, you can gain a free silk if you get a legless ball. So you brought this poor spider ball back to your settlement, and you're poking it with a stick and having it crap out some silk for you so you can make some cool gear with it. So, Josh, what is the Grinning Visage rare gear? So, what uh, what do we get for putting this poor little spider out of its misery? So, you get this two ways. You either get it by putting it out of its misery or by getting another legless ball because you can't get the innovation. You make one of these instead. So, uh, that, That's terrifying looking, by the way. The Grinning Visage. It's like, it's the face of the Spidiculous made into a shield. I like the little tassels on the side, where like ears would be, I guess. Yeah, it's it's like earrings. But uh, so this is a weapon melee shield. It's two speed, seven plus accuracy, four strength. It's unique, and it's got block one. So unique means you can only use uh, one of it. You can only have one of it at your settlement at a time, right, Josh? Correct. So it's got an upward green affinity and a downward red affinity. And its ability is when you wound with this shield, you may spend a survival to add one armor to all hit locations. Limit once per attack. That's really cool, especially if you're playing with, uh, say, rawhide armor to have uh, survival say, regen or say, even with, like, abyssal sadist uh, to have hit lo- uh, survival regen. Yeah, I was gonna say abyssal sadist with the grin and vintage, which we haven't talked about abyssal sadist because that's part of the manhunter. Uh, but yeah, that's a very cool combo right there. Yeah, that would be an amazing combo. So abyssal sadist with the rawhide armor with the grinning visage shield would be absolutely awesome. Yeah, it might be nice, powerful, and you get all the armor in the world. All right, so the other thing you do on this event is you roll through the darkness. Roll the ten. Um, so what does that mean, roll through the darkness? That's rolling the, the spidiculous through the darkness back to the settlement camp. That's what it looks like is happening. So it takes you a little bit more time to get home. So you get this hint event instead. Uh, so one through three is while climbing the hill, the spidiculous body becomes stuck in the mud. 
nearly rolling back into the survivors. It takes all their strength to avoid becoming crushed. All returns to survivors gain a random disorder and must skip the next hunt. So it's a workout bringing him back. Um, on a one or two, if you have the protect the young option, the challenge overwhelms the survivors. Poor constitution. One random return survivor is killed and the luckless ball is lost. Archive the innovation card. So here is a negative for protect the young is, uh, it's the ball. That's interesting. Uh, next up, we have the uh, four through seven. The unwieldy ball rolls awkwardly on the uneven ground. This ridiculous hissing moss snaps at their weary arms as they push a as they push a random return survivor suffers the dismembered arm severe injury. So this is that's worse than the one through three. Like getting rid of an arm versus like having to skip a hunt. I think it's a lot worse. Matt, thoughts? Yeah, I'd, I'd much rather have to skip a hunt. Oh boy, than get my arm chopped off. All right. So, uh, what was it to roll that? That's a four through seven, and then there's the options if you have uh, between five and seven. If you have nightmare training, the survivors make sport of the journey while pushing the heavy ball and avoid its garnet gnashing teeth. Return survivors gain plus one strength. So we're, we're playing soccer with uh, the ball on the way back home. We don't. Sounds like fun. And then last up, uh, 8 through 10, all the rolling causes Spidiculous to burp up its last meal all over the survivors. Add one skull basic resource to the settlement storage. Insane returning survivors are invigorated by the stench gain plus four survival. So he, he pukes up a skull and uh, the insane people like it because who doesn't like throw up, right? Everyone likes throw up. And then uh, with a 9 or 10, if you have the cooking settle, uh innovation, uh, you f- they find tasty bugs caught in this ridiculous teeth and bag the one that compels their favorite recipe. Add one vermin resource to your choice of your choice to the settlement storage. So you get the, your own vermin, which is, which is cool. So it helps cooking a little bit. I mean, we've never really done cooking, so I don't know if that's so much of a yay, but... It's plus stats. It's it's a cool thing to do. All right, so let's talk about silk refining. We talked about this. In, we had the innovation up before. Let's let's get into it a little bit more. All right. So, what is silk refining? Uh, silk refining uh, is the innovation we talked about. It's what you get when you first defeat him, um, and it gives you a story event called silk surgery. So, what is silk surgery? That's Matt? what I meant. To, I'm I meant to say that. What is silk surgery? Thank you. All right. So silk surgery, strange possibilities are preferred, preferred? I don't, I'm, I'm going to butcher this word five times before I say it, to those bold enough to gamble with their own flesh. Nominate a survivor to be the patient and operate. If any survivors have the silk surgeon's secret fighting art, you may choose the 10 result without rolling. And we'll, we'll go into what the uh, silk surgery, uh, silk surgeon secret fighting art is in just a second. So operate, roll a d10. One through two. The patient has horrible reaction to the surgery. They suffer the dismembered arm, severe injury, and must skip the next hunt. We accidentally took off his arm. Oops. Two through four. The patient wrapped in living silk archive all silk resources in the settlement. For each resource lost, the survivor adds a minus one evasion token and adds one armor to all hit locations if they depart this year. So you, you put some silk armor onto him basically. But they get slower because of it. What do you think of that? About that, Matt? I'm sorry, my headphones cut out there for a second. Can you repeat that? 
so three, four, the patient is wrapped in living silk. Archive all silk resources in the settlement for each resource lost. The survivor gains a minus one evasion token and adds one armor to all hit locations if they depart this year. Um, I, it kind of depends on what you plan on doing with all of the silk. Uh, if you're really gunning to make more stuff with it, then I could see that being kind of problematic. It just gives you a one time evasion boost, which could be very nice, but you could also like die on the hunt on the way to whatever it is you're going to fight. So it's minus one evasion. It's not a boost. It gives you minus one evasion. Oh, I'm sorry. Adds one minus armor one evasion. And adds one armor to all each hit location. Oh, I misunderstood what you were saying there. I think that's awful. I can see this evasion. Being, evasion's I, king. Evasion is king. I see this being slightly abused with, uh, the Dung Beetle Knight expansions, we're not there yet. There's a thing that lets you switch negative tokens to positive tokens. That yeah, that be would fun. be that would be really fun, actually. I could see that synergizing pretty well with this, where all of a sudden you have a bunch of armor and a bunch of evasion tokens, and you're just a super tank. Yeah. So, but that's that's not part of a. Uh, where we're at yet with everything. So there's, there's that option. Uh, five through six. Neurotoxin venom treatment. The patient gains the unconscious fighter, fighting art, and a random disorder. Unconscious fighter, I believe, lets you, uh, fight till you have seven bleeds instead of five. So, it's a good fighting art. And random disorder is not too bad. Uh, seven through nine. Silk stitches are threaded in just the right place. You may spend one silk resource to remove a permanent injury from the survivor. That's that's the key part there, right? Removing severe injuries. Yeah, that's that's the important thing there. So that it makes that uh, dismemberment option before seem not so bad. So if you have a way to heal severe injuries on survivors, that's pretty swanky. All right, and then the last up is a 10. Inspiring strikes, and the surgeon's fingers suddenly appear to have a mind of their own. The nominee survivor rolls on the r- radical procedure table. Um, and then there's a little... Thing if any that's sur- radical. If any survivor in the settlement has the silk surgeon's secret fighting art, that survivor collects a finger as payment and increases the silk surgeon level by one. The nominated survivor survivor rolls on the radical procedure. So the silk surgeons collect fingers, and there's this picture of the silk surgeon here, which I'm going to try to put up on the camera with uh, its finger necklace, and it's really creepy. She must be very good at her job, though. Yeah, she must be a great doctor. Yeah, she's got all those fingers, but her patient has no arms. That's kind of let me let me scoot that over, and I miss an eye. So, what's she gonna do? Sew all the fingers together and make a new arm for the person? Uh, maybe. Who knows? Um, so he's what's, okay, right? Yeah, he's fine. He's just taking a nap. It's just a flesh wound. Uh, they do actually have the arm to the side. They look like they're reattaching something. All right, so radical procedure. Uh, onlookers watch in awe as needles thread silk across the survivor like an artisan brush on a canvas. The survivor gains a random disorder and rolls a hit location die. The settlement has a silk surgeon instead roll dice equal to the level of the secret fighting art and choose one. So the higher level secret silk surgeon you are, you can kind of choose which one you want. So on a head, gain plus one permanent accuracy, remove all permanent head injuries other than blind, lose all understanding. And what, what do you think of that so far, Matt? I'm trying to digest one more time, but slower. So you gain plus one permanent accuracy, remove all permanent head injuries other than blind, 
and lose all understanding. So losing all your understanding sucks, but if you don't have any, that's not a big deal. It's interesting that you're getting permanent accuracy without removing blinds, because then if you have something that if you are blind and you have something that allows you to remove blind later, then you get additional accuracy. Yep, you you get more accuracy back. Um, The understanding could kind of also be beneficial if you've already hit white secret. You could you can't do it again because I think you die if you do it a second time. I don't recall the uh, story on that. So it's interesting, but you could kind of do uh, insight again and get another cool perk. That could be handy. I could see that. That's true. All right. So next up, if you roll body, heart implant, gain plus four, plus four permanent strength and minus four permanent luck. Set your hunt XP to 14. Do not gain the benefits of age. That's so odd. Why 14? It just rapidly ages you because you got a new heart. Um, yeah, it leaves you with two hunt XP left. Four strength is that's where you're getting into the area where like, okay, this is a nice amount of strength now, but minus four luck sucks. But if it's a character, like if it's a non luck build, then I guess whatever. Um, I guess if you just want to give someone just uh super strength to use them in certain circumstances, uh, what do you feel about that one, Josh? Yeah, I agree. Um, it's, it's okay. It's not anything spectacular. It's probably the least beneficial one on here. Um, you could, this could be interesting on a retired survivor. You actually de-age him. That is, well, yeah, yeah, that's true. That's true. You could de-age him and get a few extra fights out of him. Yeah, so that's, that's an interesting way to do it. Um, next up we have on the arms. If you have the dismembered arm severe injury, move it to another survivor and gain plus one permanent speed. Otherwise, reroll this hit location die. So you steal someone's arm. That's mildly amusing. Plus one permanent speed's not the best, but it, it, it's not too bad. I mean, it depends what you're doing. <sighs> waste. If you have any permanent waste injuries, remove them all and suffer minus one population. Otherwise, re-roll the hit location die. So you steal someone else's waste? Ike. That's the theme I get there, right? Uh, yeah, that would be, well, I guess you get like booty implants from the, uh, from another survivor. That's a, an odd one thematically, that's for sure. Like the only thing I can think of like waste injuries is the destroyed genitals. You're just stealing someone else's genitals. I mean, that always sounds like fun. You rip off the other survivor's genitals and you paste them onto yourself and you're fine. Yeah. So um, last up we have the feet or the legs. New legs. Exchange all permanent leg injuries with a survivor of your choice. So you just switch out your legs. You just – I feel like we're like – Lieutenant Dan, you got new legs. <laughs> we're just like kind of Lego people and we're just switching out arms and legs and bodies and heads, right? That that makes perfect sense. When you're the Silk Surgeon, you can do that. So let's look at the uh, Silk Surgeon secret fighting art. Okay, so what is that secret fighting art? Aside from something that allows you to chop people's fingers off and wear them around your neck. I mean, that's a fashion statement there. Uh, Silk Surgeon secret fighting art, you start at a rank zero. So this is an interesting one. You get ranks uh, as you progress, and it goes from rank zero to start with to rank three at the end. Uh, So rank one 
is uh, you may spend actions while adjacent to another survivor to add two armor to one of their hit locations. That's it's actually interesting. That's pretty nifty. Um, second level, while all armor in your gear grid is silk and all jewelry is amber, gain plus two evasion. So you're going to get some extra evasion by wearing the spidiculous armor and uh, having amber jewelry on. And then third level is during the aftermath, roll 1d10 for each other survivor that died during the showdown. On a 7 plus, revive them. That is amazing. Having the ability to res a survivor that died during the showdown on a uh, 40% chance there, that is friggin' awesome. And it's, do you roll for each? Yeah, you roll for each one. So, like, it's not one roll. Oh, they're all dead or they're all alive. It's, oh, uh, well, we got a shot at each one. So. Yeah, that's, that's pretty sweet. That's really sweet. So how do you level up in the Silk Surgeon, Josh? So it's every time you do the Silk Surgeon story, you level up, you steal a finger and you level up. So you just keep moving body parts around. And so when you, if you're Silk Surgeon and you do that story, you automatically roll a 10 and you get to do that, that body placement. Switch your body parts around and stuff. Okay, that makes sense. All right. So, what else do we have for Mister Spidiculous? We have two fighting arts. Um, uh, first one's Vengeance. Matt, you want to go over that one real quick? Sure thing. As soon as it shows up for me in the camera. There we go. Vengeance fighting art. When a survivor dies during the showdown, gain four survival and one strength token. So it kind of gives you a buff where you you go super saiyan if someone else dies. Oh, hello. Oh, who is this? Is this Fen? It is. It is. Hello. Surprise, surprise. Hello, Fen. How are you doing? I'm doing well, thank you. What are we? Uh, what are we on? So we got through the hit locations, the aftermath uh, of the Spidiculus. Uh, we talked about the legless ball, the Spidicisophus. And uh, we we just talked about the Silk Surgeon a little bit. So now Josh is going through uh, some fighting arts now. Ooh, okay. Well, I would like to say I really like Silk Surgeon. I do think it's a great... You missed that by about a minute and a half. Yep. Well, there we are. So, Fat, how do you but get yeah, a Silk that's... Surgeon? Because I don't know if we talked about that last session. session. It's, you have to... Um, you get hit by the puppet um, one. Where you get uh, the legendary action, so it has to be a level three. She uh, she will stab one of your survivors in the head, pull them off the board. At the end of the fight, you then get to roll on the table on the event. Spidistifilis, um, uh, I think it is. Uh, I can't remember exactly the name of it, but uh, it will. Um, uh, uh, you roll in on a nine or a ten, I think you get the silk surgeon. If you have bloodletting, you get to skip straight to a nine or ten. Boom, no problem at all. So generally, what you do is you fight a level three. You let one of your survivors get caught by the legendary action, and you make sure you have bloodletting so you can guarantee the silt surgeon. So there, that's how. All right, and then uh, we, we talked a little bit about Taken, and I know you you probably have a couple few things to say on that. So I figured I'll, I'll give you a second to talk about Taken before we continue. I, I was actually, I think we can save a section to the end where I'm going to talk about like the issues I have with Spidiculous and also the house rules we've started playing with and things. So we'll discuss Taken then. Let's, uh, let's look at the fighting arts, which is one of the nicer parts right. of Spidiculous. So we just mentioned, uh, Vengeance. Uh, so you get yeah. plus four survival and plus one strength token when another survivor dies. Uh, yeah. 
that one's like, yeah, you know, it's okay. It's not stuff that triggers off survivors dying is not really what you want. And then the other one is a uh, harvestman, which is uh, you gain plus three movement whenever you are knocked down. You gain minus one movement token. If you have the tiny, I love this one. Yeah, if you have the uh, tiny arachnophobia disorder, you are too scared of spiders to intimidate them, and you cannot use this fighting art. So you can't use it if you have a disorder, which is an interesting mix. But yeah, uh, plus three movement is really really nice. It is. I I think the design of this one's great. Um, I love the the extra movement, moving fast to get knocked down, minus movement tokens. It's a nice kind of balanced fighting art, and it's fun with the tiny arachnophobia. It's just entertaining. Um, and also you can get this one by an innovation. So, uh, no, sorry, an endeavor on an innovation. And I also think this is uh, a good mix of like something like leather armor where you have ignore bash. So you don't get much yes. knocked down. And, yeah. Uh, it also helps with the, um, uh, with the steel shield. It allows you to operate it without too much penalty. Uh-huh. So you'll be moving at five with harvestman and steel shield. Yeah, um, we talked about this briefly already, but I wanted to get your opinion on Death Touch, the secret fighting art, where, you, um, where it's plus one accuracy with fist and tooth, and when you wound a monster, yes. it gains minus one toughness until the end of your attack. You cannot use this if you're male. Yeah, I really like it. It's just very difficult to get, and there is a bit of a cost to it. Um, have we looked at uh, Coloria yet? Uh, we did not look at Coloria yet, but we did look at the... There is a a res- uh, one of the resources you get the death touch secret fighting art if you consume it on a six plus so it's a 50 50 shot uh, that gives you yeah, this that's right the venom sack yeah but um we can go into cluria now because that was one of the it next things to get to to both of them yeah yeah so uh i really do like death touch um on the whole like minus toughness to a monster is really good um this is the other way to get it and this kind of gives you that whole I like this actually. That this is one of the in, um, innovations I think is underappreciated and underused. It is the only part of Spediculus that's required for green armor, um, and it is a building requirement for one of those. But it's also just like there's no downside to this. There's no like I'm gonna die kind of thing. Um, and he says on a ten, the male survivor is dead. But essentially, what you do is the you use a disposable male survivor. Um, like a new one and a good female survivor and do the dancing here. Um, and you know, if the survivor, male survivor gets the harvestman art, fantastically, you know, he will start using him in hunts. And if the female survivor dev- devours him, then, um, you know, she gets death touch. I don't, all this like gain the hunt XP rounded down fighting arts and things like that. You'd only do that if you've got a retired male survivor who you're sort of looking to get rid of. So on the whole, you know, it's a good innovation. It's one that doesn't get used as much as it should do. Uh, it doesn't get as much attention as it should. Because um, I like Death Touch and I like Harvestman. They're both really good fighting arts. And this, this is a safer way to get it. Yeah. All right, and we have. So I don't believe we went over the Harvestman fighting art, right, Josh? Uh, we briefly talked about it a second ago. It is the plus three oh, movement. I'm... Yeah. You... Oh, okay. Yeah, that's the movement. Okay. Yeah, it's okay. a very straightforward fighting art. Yeah. Yeah, the move- movement is such a rare gain that that's pretty nice to get. For some reason, it didn't trigger with me that that was Harvestman. Yeah, yeah. All right, so since we did fighting arts, let's go over the uh, the disorders. So we have revenge. Yep. Um, 
when a fellow hunter perishes, you lose control. When a survivor dies during the showdown board, suffer the frenzy brain trauma. Um, well, for me, this one's one of those mixed bag ones. I mean, it sucks that it triggers on a death because that's never a good thing. But this is a disorder with kind of an upside. Frenzy's not necessarily a bad thing. Um, it's, you know, as you guys know, frenzy's a bit of a mixed bag on if it's useful or not. So I'm not upset to draw revenge, um, but it's no like we're toxic. You're not thrilled about it either. No, no, it's just like, it, it generally is like, it could be worse, at least this doesn't trigger very often, and it doesn't have a major downside, so I'd say it's like, in the better half of disorders, but I wouldn't put it in the top ten. Alright, and the other card we have is Tiny Arachnophobia. Uh, you are irrationally scared of tiny spiders and the things they produce. You cannot carry any gear with the amber keyword, you cannot gain any resources with the silk keyword. So needless to say, this one is like, if you're playing without Spidiculus, it's almost irrelevant. If you're playing with Spidiculus, this one can be really uh, frustrating and annoying. Um, the only gear with amber keywords is the stuff from Spidiculus. Uh, with Silk, the dragon vestments in People of the Stars are Silk. Um, so it does have a small amount of relevance if you're playing, if you've just put them all in the deck and you have them in there for People of the Stars. Um, on the whole, though, this is like, again, one of those um, disorders that's not a huge issue to draw. It's a bit fun. It will shut off Harvestmen if you have it. So sometimes it might be an inconvenience. Sometimes it's just, most of the time, it's just a nothing. So I you know, I put this in the top half of disorders again. All right, last, last up is Controlophobia. You're deeply afraid of being the monster controller. While you are the monster controller, it's double any damage you suffer. Yeah. So this one is like a bit of an issue to get because obviously normally when you're the monster controller, you generally, at least early on, want to target yourself for the insanity gain, but you just can't do it with this. It also goes directly against the rings that we're going to look at in a short while. Um, and that is a, a, you know, um, an issue. This is like not ideal to get. Um, I think it's fair though because it's only what one in four games. One in four turns per showdown it affects you. Uh, and it's really weird in um, solo play because technically in solo play there is no monster controller so it doesn't do anything there. But as we'll see when we look at the rings, I'm of the opinion the solo play rules are are not well thought out and generally should be ignored and you should still be passing the monster controller around between your survivors. Yeah, that's how we play too even when I play two players. Yeah, yeah. All right, so uh, you want to go into the two special settlement events, and then we can go into gear, because I know that that's what you're excited for, Fen. Oh, yeah, I'm really excited for this gear. <laughs> um, there's a lot to say about the gear, so yeah. But the settlement events, if I remember correctly, I like them a lot, these two. All right, so first up we have Silk Storm. The settlement wakes to find everything and everyone in speculation expectedly covered in a blanket of thick silk. Uh, gain plus two innovations uh, endeavors to settlement phase that can only be spent on spidiculous innovations. The smell is completely covered in sticky stuff. Survivors cannot depart this year unless they have at least one empty space in their gear grid. And then we have a yeah. couple places that we can endeavor at. Yeah. So if one we have... of them's uh, spidiculous 
related. And then is the other one, I can't quite see. Oh, yes, the other one's the Silk Diet. Yeah. Okay. Oh, uh, yes, of course. This is actually really good, this location. All right. So um, if you have the legless ball, Spiculus' eyes rattles in its head and it babbles like crazy. Um, so for Endeavor, you can talk to the legless ball. One through six, utter nonsense, gain 1d10 insanity for listening. Seven plus, the Spiculus vomits giblets all over you, gain plus three insanity, and add the bladder screaming antelope resource to the settlement storage. So it's a way to get bladder, which is, I know, one of your favorite items for blood paint, right, Fen? Oh, yeah. Well, blood paint is, um, in my opinion, the single best offensive gear item in the game. So, yeah, it's really good. Uh, next up is Silk Diet. It's just an endeavor. Uh, one through f- three, food coma. Game plus five survival and skip the next hunt. We're having Thanksgiving dinner. Uh, four through seven, found a bug. Gain one random vermin resource. Uh, a plus, you manage to eat your way out of the silk and may fill your gear grid normally if you depart this year. No negatives to this endeavor. It's all well, good stuff. Skipping next hunt. I mean, if yeah. you use it on like a random person, it's not. Yeah, it's, it's you know it's not terrible at all. This is a genuinely a good settlement event card. It's well designed. Because like like you gain plus five plus five survival and you skip the next hunt. If you use it with nobody, you find a bug for the just put it in storage, or everyone yeah. can depart normally. It doesn't say only yep. you. It's the whole settlement. So, all up and up in my yeah. book. And then last up, it requires silk refining. Um, silk net for four silk and three resources. Erect a huge silk net at the edge of the settlement. Use to special showdown the monster of your choice this year. So, yeah. an extra hunt? Or even a nemesis fight? Yep. So, so this, there's a uh, go on. Oh, so this is going to help out with the nerfed uh, heart fluid a little bit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So sort of things to note on this. First of all, um, obviously you get two extra endeavors for spidiculous innovations. So like this is a great one to draw for a spidiculous base a campaign with spidiculous in it. Um, the legless ball, as you said, there's no downside to talking to the legless ball. You can do it multiple times. You can possibly get multiple bladders which is amazing because um as we all know the recommended rules are you don't have the antelope in uh, with the uh, spidiculus um and this is a way of getting access to the bladder which will let you make blood paint um so that's good but just getting bladders even if you do have the antelope in is is fantastic because bladders are amazing silk diet as you said no problem still silk net um this is kind of like I'm not sure how this is going to work under 1.5 rules, um, but under the old ones, there was a potential to more or less like repeatedly silk net because you could silk net to get a spidiculus that would give you multiple silk that you could then use again to silk net again, and you could kind of loop your way around silk netting spidiculuses and grabbing them and redoing it and gaining like hunt XP and weapon proficiencies and making a small net gain on resources. So I don't know. I really feel like that should have said use this once per year um, because they didn't think of people looping it endlessly at the time. Uh, ultimately, again, you can't do this unless you're playing with Spidiculous because you need the silk. So it's a it's a nice bonus. This is just a really good settlement card, and I wish more were designed around this with so many options, interesting things, and uh, a downside that you can negate with some work. Uh, no, the one thing is like. 
to kind of go after that special showdown, you have to have this card randomly drawn. And exactly, I haven't seen this card in quite a while. Yeah, yeah. And as the settlement decks get larger, it's going to be rarer and rarer, this one. All right, so the other um, settlement event. Uh, someone want to read this for me? The Seasons of the Spiderlings. Sure thing. So, Season of the Spiderling. So, spiderlings are falling from the sky and into the settlement by the dozen. Buoyed through the air on silk parachutes. Well, that's kind of adorable. Uh, one at a time, each player nominates a survivor and rolls on the table below based on their attributes. Repeat this until four survivors roll, then determine victory or failure. Minus two to all roll results if the settlement has the legless ball innovation. So, insane survivors roll a d10. On a one to three, you scream until you pass out. Failure. Four to seven, you achieve victory by eating every spiderling in sight, gain the binge eating disorder, and skip the next hunt. And in an eight plus victory, you defend your home with such ferocity that you are unable to distinguish friend from foe. Minus one population and gain the berserker fighting art. So you're so crazy that you just kill everything in sight and you kill one of your friends. Mm-hmm. I kind of like the uh, you eat all of the spiderlings in sight. That's kinda, <laughs> that's really funny. I used to see the spiderlings parachuting in and someone's just waiting around with like a knife and fork to eat them all. Uh, sane survivors with three plus courage roll a d10. On a one to four, you leap into the fray where the spiderlings are thickest and are quickly overwhelmed. Failure, you are dead. And on a five plus, a stunning victory, a stunning display of bravery, the settlement achieves victory regardless of the other survivor's roll result. And then if neither of the above tables applies, so if you're sane and you have less than three courage, you roll a d10. On a 1 to 5, run away, failure, and skip the next hunt. And on a 6 plus, victory, you oust the beast without taking a scratch, gain 3, survival. So, if more than two survivors achieve victory, the settlement vanquishes the spiderlings. The nominated survivor gains plus 1 permanent strength and 1 level of weapon proficiency if eligible. Otherwise, the spiderlings overwhelm and ransack the settlement. The nominated survivors are all dead. If the settlement has the legless ball innovation, it is lost as the spiderlings roll it back into the forest. Archive it now. So this isn't particularly uh, easy to pass this. Um, on average, you should be able to pass it. Um, but uh, there's sort of like... You've got to think carefully about who you put in this. Ideally, you're going to throw insane survivors in because they succeed on a 4+. plus which is you know, a decent chance. You're not going to be sending sane survivors with three plus courage in really. Cause like, look at that, that they could die. Um, and, and it's, it's a lot of the time it's going to be insane ones. And then those who are just kind of sane, but don't have the courage. Um, and I believe, yeah, it's a better than 50% chance of, of doing it. It's a nice way of boosting up guys who are sat around in settlement, not doing anything. I swear, though, that the guy on the if-neither table above replies looks just like the guy who is coming in for the murder narrative sculpt on the gambler's chest. Look at his dead eyes. He does. He actually really does. Yeah. Um, Um, This looks like one of the cards that... I remember we talking to Adam at uh, Gen Con where he said the settlement event changed depend on what uh, innovations you had and stuff. I could see this being added to the sack once you bring in the legless ball. Hmm. Yeah. yeah, and yeah, it's it's a good designed event though. It's fun, uh, and you know you've got some control over what's going to happen. 
All right, so that is, I think we hit everything besides gear. Yeah. Okay. So what do you want to go over first, Fen? I think we should start with the weapons first, because they are pretty much early game weapons. Um, and, and then we can go through the armor and then talk about the really cool parts. Um, and unusual stuff that, that is in the uh, the rings and the like. So let's go first of all with the um, the hooded scrap guitar. Um, there we are. Got all my weapons. Right. So the hooded scrap guitar is a paired weapon with two speed, seven plus um, accuracy, four strength, a left blue affinity, and it's paired. Uh, and if you hit four or more times in a single attack with this weapon, the monster suffers one wound before hit locations are drawn. So this is very similar in some ways to uh, the um, Lion Beast Claws, the White Lion Katar. Um, it gains an additional strength and an extra ability instead of having Deadly. So most people are going to prefer, prefer Deadly. Um, but it is like a direct analogue of the li- White Lion versions. And I've said a few times, and I keep saying this, I think that um, Spediculus has a lot of ways it replaces bits and pieces for the White Lion. And it's kind of a shame that uh, it's it's so much in competition with the White Lion gear. Um, and um, that sort of kind of... It makes expansions sit a little bit at odds. But the hooded scrap guitars are pretty decent. And any weapon that has a automatic wound before hit locations are drawn needs to be considered carefully. So this is one of those strange times that if you want to play a high-speed survivor, hooded scrap guitars should be considered. Um, it's a decent weapon. Especially if it's some uh, plus accuracy. So you yeah. guarantee those yeah. those hits. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you boost up If you somebody boosted accuracy, extra speed, uh, they can be fantastic. They're also like quite early game metal weapons, which doesn't have a huge um, like impact at the moment, but it's worth bearing in mind that normally metal doesn't come along this early. Um, they're just good. And speaking of good, we can have a look at the Silk Whip next. So this is, in my opinion, the best designed whip, uh, apart from the Rawhide Whip. Um, it is in every shape and form a better version of the Leather Whip. Uh, it's easier to make. Um, it's got a, uh, it's a two speed, six plus accuracy, three strength, melee whips. It's got silk. So, um, that's always worth remembering for tiny arachnophobia. It's got a right blue affinity, a down green affinity. Uh, it is, has a puzzle piece ability as long as both of those two affinities are connected up correctly. On a perfect hit, you may archive a mood card in play instead of drawing a hit location. So that's a great ability. Um, this is a this is basically like I would go rawhide whip into silk whip, but normally in the early game you would take the silk whip ahead of anything else. If you want to go whip users, if you want to play Indiana Jones, this is this is your first port of call, and it's probably the same weapon you use the most of the game because become, when you become a whip master, you get plus five strength, uh, and I still think that honestly that's better than the ring whip. Not better than the oxidized ring whip, but yeah, it's um, a solid weapon. It's got good affinities that combine well with stuff like a leather shield. Um, and I wish more whips were designed on this level. And anything that removes mood cards is uh, powerful. 
One of the interesting things I'm looking at what you need to make it. It's a large appendage and a bone, which are two bone resources. I don't know how that makes a yeah. whip, but that's uh, interesting. Mm. Yeah, it is interesting, and it's very useful to have um, weapons that use just nothing but bone to construct. Because, as I'm sure you guys are finding with as time passes, you often get a glut of bones. Like we use bones in less quantity, so it's a great, a great weapon. Uh, next of all, we'll look at a not-so-great weapon, which is a throwing knife. Uh, this is a we- weapon-ranged throne. It's uh, 4 speed, 9 plus accuracy, 2 strength, range 4. At the end of the attack, you gain a plus 1 accuracy token for each perfect hit. When knocked down, you remove all your accuracy tokens. This is like There's a lot of things that do this. Gain X number of tokens for doing something, and when you get knocked down, lose them all. Now... The problems with throwing knife are pretty much endemic of many weapons that aren't considered to be so good, which is it's high speed, very high speed. Um, it's not very accurate, um, which in some ways negates the high speed to a certain degree, uh, but it's the low strength. If this had more strength, it would be an interesting weapon, um, but it's kind of like a bit stranded out there. On top of that, we still don't have a thrown weapon mastery. so. This is not a kind of throwing weapon I would really be looking to use. I believe it's relatively cheap to make, though. Do you have the cost? It is a silk and serrated fangs. Yeah, that's not too bad to make. Um, in the future, if we get some decent throne mastery, um, maybe stuff that uh, gives more strength to throne weapons or something, then this is something that would be revisited. But as it stands right now, throne weapons are sort of stranded with nothing to, to do with them. And they have to be very powerful, and this is not one of the powerful thrown weapons. Then we have the Amber Edge, which I believe you got to play with uh, uh, during one of the more fun um, streams that you ran, one of the one-offs. Yeah, one of our uh, marathon streams. We I had a lot of fun yeah. with the Amber Edge. Yeah. So this is a truly unique weapon. It is a... Weapon melee scimitar amber. So there is a scimitar weapon type in the game. It doesn't have a mastery yet. It might do in the future. Um, it is one speed, six plus accuracy, four strength. It's slow. At the end of each attack, if you wounded the monster, you get to make an additional attack with this weapon. So that can, you know, trigger over and over per attacks. And the amber edge can be used to chop monsters to death quite effectively as it's got everything you want. The, um, the downside of this is it's a scimitar, so you don't ever get weapon mastery. But you can use this on a fist and tooth user. They can do their fist and tooth punching and then go for it with the amber edge for the rest of the fight. The other thing I'd say is it doesn't have deadly, which is a shame, but, you know, we can't be asking for deadly on every single weapon in the game. Uh, I, I think it's fantastic. Uh, it's not expensive either to build, is it? Uh, it's three resources, a bone, an organ, and a chitin, which I don't remember exactly what type of resource that is, but... Uh, it's going to be a hide resource, uh, given that it's... Uh, yeah, it's a hide. Yeah. yeah. Okay, and um, I'm going to talk about the uniques before I go on back to um, the last weapon, because I have a fair bit to say on the last weapon. Um, so we have the Weaver, which, as we mentioned in the previous episode, is found during one particular hunt event. Uh, it is a melee Sword Amber, 3 speed, 6 plus accuracy, 2 strength. It's unique, 
Uh, whenever you wound a monster, you add one armor to a random hit location. Now, if you happen to get this very early in the campaign, it can be quite effective. Um, but it's, you have no control over getting it. Uh, and the low strength on it means it's going to fall off fairly quickly. Because even in the hands of a swordsmaster, this is only a strength three weapon. That's like, you know, that that's that's a lion beast claw katar. That's that's like a lantern year five weapon at best, strength three. So it's um, it's not as good as it could have been. I feel like this could have been a strength four or strength five weapon. Um, considering now, and maybe then gated it and said you have to be hunting at least a level two. Uh, you know. Say on the hunt event, it could have said if after overwhelming darkness get the weaver. Um, so it's just interesting that it's a unique weapon. It's rare and it's so early game. Um, on top of that, and this bugs me no end, you get five of these on the sprue. I mean, when are you ever going to have five models holding the weaver? When it says unique. Yeah, exactly. Like I could understand three, which is the usual. Which is the left hand, right hand, and the un- the non-held one. But we could have done with like more of the other weapons instead, more um, amber edges and more uh, amber pole axes. Good news is though the other unique item I think is much better. Uh, this is the grinning visage. It is a two seven plus four strength melee shield. And we talked about this a little bit. Fed before, yeah. just uh, one, how you get it earlier. So we, we mentioned exactly. it then. Yeah. So as mentioned earlier, um, you will get it through um, killing a legless ball or bringing in a second legless ball. So it's, you can control over how you're going to get this, which is great. Uh, it's got a special ability. When you wound with the shield, you may spend one survival to add one armor to all hit locations. One, limit once per attack. It is a, it's a prime offensive shield. Like, this is one of the better ways to train up shield mastery outside of using one of the really premium shields, such as the beacon shield or um, the cheese shield, Fetosaurus. Uh, so I think this is fantastic. This is this is my kind of unique weapon design. Um, it's creepy as heck with the uh, shrunken face of a spediculus being wielded as a weapon. Um, it's got good stats. It's got an excellent activated ability. It's just just great. It's, I, I really like it a lot. Uh, right. So, I mean, I guess you guys you haven't played with Spiculus so much. You haven't had a chance to have a go with this, have you? No, we haven't had much chance to use any of the uh, Spiculus gear, sadly. Yeah. Well, we will look at the last weapon, um, and then we'll dig through the uh, utility items and the armor. Uh, this is the Amber Polaxe, and I've left this one to last for, last for a couple of reasons that we'll get into. Now, the Amber Polaxe is a weapon melee axe and spear. So it's two weapons, it's two-handed, and it's got amber, amber drawback. Its stat line is 2, 6, plus, and 3. It has reach 2, uh, and it has a downward-facing green affinity which means it can combine with leather shields to create a nice um, a green affinity. Now, before I get into its activated ability, you, I just want to say, as it stands right now, this is basically a variant um, king spear. It's an axe and um, spear hybrid king spear. Uh, and I believe it costs two resources to make again. Which two are they? Uh, it actually requires four resources. Ooh, uh, it's two bones, right, one organ, and one venom sack. Okay, yeah. 
All right, that's fair enough. I was about to say, um, I'm glad I misremembered, and it is four, because there's a reason that this is four. Uh, now, this, its static ability is when a monster collides with you, you roll 1d10. On a 6+, plus, the monster suffers one wound. Now, on a first-pass look at this, you can be like, okay, well, that's not... I mean, it's an automatic wound, so that's kind of like... you always got to pay attention to those. But it's sort of... You don't... You wouldn't think you have much control about how to make a monster collide with a survivor. Um, but actually, that's not the case. So there are three tricks you can do with this. Two of them are identical um, and basically evolve the fecal salve or cycloid armor, which also has a built-in fecal salve, which we'll talk about in the future when we talk about the Sunstalker. Effectively, if you're standing in front of the monster and it's not considering you a threat and the threat is passed, you can make the monster run through you and attacking the threat. So against certain monster types who primarily target threats in facing or um, the, you know, threats in field of view, you can essentially put yourself in between you and the monster and create what they often call a picket fence. Um, there's been some discussion of this on BoardGameGeek in regards to using it with the level 3 Kingsman. Um, it's a very cheesy tactic to kill the Kingsman. I was sort of saving it to talk about it for this episode, but... Um, People beat me to the punch because we uh, we've had a few delays in getting to talk about this. So basically, you create survivors who are not threats, and when the monster runs over them to get to the threats, they stab him. And you can do this with like two survivors. Um, the other way you can do it is you set it behind the monster and you slam it via the screaming armor into these into amber polax well wielded survivors. Obviously, it's going to collide with them. So you would want uh, leather armor if you can to avoid bash. Otherwise, you're going to have to be encouraging them back to their feet. Um, the other thing is once you're on the floor, monsters still will collide with you when it runs over. So it, it doesn't really matter if you're knocked down. Um, and effectively, you can create a, um, a way of killing monsters without ever drawing a single hit location card. So amber pole axes are hideously broken if abused. If they're not abused, they're just kind of a, an over-expensive king spear. So this is something for people to kind of bear in mind. And I, that's why I think um, in the future, the design team needs to be very careful about stuff that does automatic wounds because the community will find creative ways of using said items. And we're going to talk about a bit more of that in a short while um, to avoid to kill monsters in ways that were never planned and as safely as possible. So the Amber Pole Axe is, like, insanely good and worth the four resources. Yeah, the, the Pole Axe seems really, really cool. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's an amazing ability, especially because that's a static ability. You don't even have to activate it as well. Yeah. It's, uh, it's a ridiculously good, abusable weapon. Um, and as you think about it, you could set up a hunt party that just uses these to kill monsters for most of the campaign. Um, you know, I don't know, I, I haven't looked at it yet, but I mean, it's quite possible that even the Gold Smoke Knight will be vulnerable to this kind of nonsense, depending on how he targets. So it's, uh, when you've got something, a trick that can kill a level 3 Kingsman relatively safely, there are some wrinkles to it. You've got to, you know, think carefully about it and, and consider how overpowered it might actually be. Um, 
So, yeah, that's the end of the weapons. We've got one more that's kind of a weapon, but isn't really, and that's the silk bomb. Um, this it lands in the category of bombs I don't rate too much. Um, how, what is the, the resource cost on the silk bomb, Josh? Uh, two silk and then two random resources. Yeah, so it's a bit expensive uh, for what it does. Now, it's a, a, a thrown item, um, so it's not a, a weapon, but like uh, it is thrown, the category of thrown. It's amber, and it's fragile, and it's silk. Its ability is you activate it until the end of the round, all survivors ignore knockback and bash, archive after the use. Really, that's a very marginal ability. Um, there's many other items that allow you to ignore knockback or take advantage of it, um, if, such as the... F- Feather Mantle from the Phoenix, um, and ignoring Bash is something that Leather does, and Bash is like not a huge um, issue at times anyway. So this would be okay if it wasn't archived after use. It would be amazing, but you might find some utility uses for it. As it stands, this is a lot to pay for a very marginal ability, and I'm kind of like, meh, silk bombs. Just like musk bombs, I won't make them. I think bombs as a whole could do with a revisit uh, in Kingdom Death and maybe could be made into an actual weapon attack type and made interesting. Um, but they need to be better than the Silk Bomb and the Musk Bomb. Don't bother with these yeah, guys for, when you play. For an archive after use for four resources, that's pretty awful considering the ability. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, um, unless, Josh, do you have anything you'd like to say on it? I mean, if you do have the legless ball, you do get a silk each turn, so you could make one of these every four years without any real resources, because you could use four silk, technically. But yeah, yeah it's still not not that great. It's not it's anything to get excited about, is it? Speaking of which, we're on to the silk armor. Uh, I don't have my full card. What is the... Could you just read out the um, set bonus for the full before we discuss the individual parts for the full set. Sure. It is uh, add one armor to all hit location. Whenever you are attacked, after hit locations are rolled, you may change one hit location to the one hit location die to the result of your choice. Yeah. Yes, that's it. So, uh, I've got to say, first of all, this is probably the best looking armor in the game. Um, Model-wise, it's gorgeous. It's full of theme. It's got this kind of um, Arabic sort of silk look it looks cultured and sophisticated um and i am genuinely a bit sad that i now have to say it's not a very good armor set um and there's a number of problems for it so first of all when you try and put this armor set together in any shape or form you'll see the affinities are very finicky and don't work well together um this the best way of laying it out um and it is to have Say, if talking about the grid, uh, top left will be position one and bottom right will be position nine, so left to right and going down. You have silk wraps in one, the silk robes in, th- in four, silk turban in five, silk sash in six, and the silk boots in seven. What this means, though, is you can't activate the silk boots, um, which have a kind of neat ability. This is the most optimal layout I've found. Uh, when you try and there's, there's no gear items that let you rejig things to make this grid work. It's a armor set that slightly fights against itself. Um, I'll go through the individual pieces now and um, and look at them. So first of all, all of the armor set is armor set silk and flammable and provides three armor. So it's a 
moderately hard piece of armor, um, toughness-wise, and you'll have four on all locations with the full set. Um, but it's really not up there with, say, leather or anything like that. Uh, the first, we'll start from the bottom and work our way up. So we first have the silk boots. Silk boots have a up and a right uh, green affinity, and you need two puzzle pieces to activate its ability to the two greens. It gives you plus one movement if you do, and once per round you may spend one survival to gain two insanity. Now, that's actually a, a fairly decent ability. It does appear in a couple of interesting and unusual hybrid builds that make use of this. Um, for example, the um, uh, the tank off the gloom hammer combo will use this boot to regain insanity via survival to keep itself active. Um, but it's it's sort of if you look at leather leather boots like are easier to activate and um, and work in a similar fashion. It's not quite as flexible on the movement, but leather gives you that extra movement after you've acted. So then we've got the sash. Um, the sash is a, uh, it's got a left green and a down green. Again, it has this double green puzzle piece. So you need, you, you kind of got to activate it by fitting it in with the other pieces. <sighs> um, now, first of all, when you depart, you gain one survival. That's a decent ability in itself. Um, it means that uh, you can, leather will provide, no, sorry, silk will provide that gain that rawhide normally does. By giving you a bit of extra survival for departing. Uh, the ability is unique. Um, when the two green puzzle pieces are active, you gain, you can activate this item with your activation to uh, add one armor to all locations, and you can use this once per showdown. Um, that's an okay ability. I mean, the further you get into the game, the less useful gaining one armor is. It's quite valuable early in the game, but eh, later on. Um, and yeah, I'm not. I'm never super. This is one of the ones that's easier to activate, but I'm never super excited about it. Uh, it gets even less exciting when you get to the silk robes, which have the same ability. So it's exactly the same text as the silk sash. The when you depart, gain one survival, and it has the same activated ability. But this one requires two red puzzle and one blue puzzle. It has a red at the top, a red at the bottom, and a blue on the right. So. You can have two of these active on the typical grid, which I described at the start, which is like a, um, a Z turned on its side, or an S. Um, it, but it's a lot of effort to get this activated. Why it requires three puzzle pieces, I don't know uh, at all. It's it's a nightmare. Um, on the whole, you know, I, I don't... I've played with these plenty, and I don't care about this activated ability. And you tend to have to start ignoring it and rearranging the grid to try and get things to work anyhow. Then on the R's, we have the silk wraps, which have no special abilities. They just have a left green and a red down. Um, they look good. They look cool. They've got bones in on the uh, on the braces, on the wraps. Um, they don't do anything special. But the item that is of most interest is the silk turban. This is the headpiece. Um it has a left blue and a right green, which are unusual and rare affinities. Um, and it has the ability puzzle piece, so it requires the green and the blue to be connected. You can, for one activation, turn the monster to face away from you and use only during the survivor's turn. That's a unique and unusual ability. There is one problem with this. You can't make this without getting a unique special resource by killing a level 3 spediculus. 
So this entire armor set, the full armor set, requires killing a level 3 Spidiculus to complete. That makes it kind of like a Lantern Year 16 or higher armor set. That's not exciting for that level uh, in the game. Yeah, that's kind of awful that you have to wait to kill a level 3 in order to get a rare gear to make the headpiece for the, for the full armor set. Yeah, and this is the biggest problem. Like, this armor set is clearly a mid-game like support utility armor set. That was the intention in the design. But it's gated so far away that you end up just not really making use of it. And, you know, let's face it, what are you going to build this or are you going to build leather? You're going to build leather. Are you I gonna think build- the the better route here would have been if they would have done something similar to like with the, with the Gorm armor and the regen suit where mm-hmm. there's, there's like an additional armor piece that you can get from killing a level three that buffs the suit up even more. Yeah, exactly. This is an expensive armor set. It's a cool armor set. I love how it looks and I wish it was better in game, but I can say right now I have spent the whole time um, over the Spidiculous episode. So we're talking a month playing around with this armor set and trying to find out what it is worth using with. And I've come up with that it doesn't have any niche. The only thing I found interesting is it in combination with the Slender Man, you can wear the gloom bracelets that give you an extra six armor on your arms and like readjust damage to the arms a bit to soak up some hits. Um, but it's just considering everything this could have been so much more. I want to make a so, note, so, looking at how much resources is needed to make a full set. It's not It's not resource light. It's pretty resource heavy. It is really resource heavy. Isn't it like 17 resources or something? The head is five. The arms is two. The robes are four. The sash is four. And the legs are two. 15 resources to make the full set. And one of them is a level three gated resource. Yes. Yeah. It's a hugely expensive set. Yeah. And a real shame. Um, this is, it, you know, I, I just don't like it. And I, I really want to like it because I want as a, as a painter, I want to do these guys justice. I love these. I w- would love to have these guys on the table. I just can't justify it based on how they, uh, on this armor set. Um, but it was more we're going to talk about at the end where I'm going to go into a few sort of bits and pieces. Now, we are past all of that and we're on to the really interesting, cool stuff now. We're going to start with what I think is probably um, the most powerful non-broken item out of these four that are left. That's the silk bodysuit. Um, you can only make one of these. It's unique. It reduces the damage from every hit suffered by two to a minimum of one. Um, you may not have any heavy or metal armor in your gear grid. It doesn't have any affinities. It's not a piece of armor itself. It's just like a utility support item. This is freaking amazing. I mean, you can't wear heavy armor. You can't wear metal armor. But, like, you can wear this on leather. And suddenly, think about how tanky this will make you. Because you're, if you're taking, on average, say, three damage a hit from certain monsters... That's going down to one damage. That is a it's just an awesome amount of uh, damage reduction. On top of that, this will go on rolling armor because rolling armor, despite being heavy, is not armor. It doesn't have the armor keyword. So you've got synergy between the Dung Beetle Knight and the Silk Bodysuit here. Um, it, this, this, this is the item I think should have been gated behind the level 3. This is the one that should require the Silk and Nervous System because it's amazing. 
Yeah, I agree. And I could see this on a Leyland Walker or something too, where yeah. you can't wear armor. Oh, I'll just wear this. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you stick it on, on a Canthus Doctor as well. You know, they can't wear armor. In a, all right, it doesn't have any green affinities, but it's so powerful, it just kind of doesn't matter. It, this is like one of the best, like, non-broken items in the game. Uh, it's just a better version of the white, uh, the lion coat, is it? The, the, um, body piece. Yeah, I know what you're talking, yeah, I think it's lion coat. Yeah. yeah. Um, it's amazing and absolutely when you guys play it's ridiculous, it's one of the things you want to experience on a well-designed tank, it's just nuts. You get to play with tanks that you normally wouldn't. And um, you get this I pretty just, early on from what I'm looking at. Yeah, it's five silk, okay. two hide, and a spinneret. So you just need to get up, stock some silk. Yeah, That's and a spinneret, you know. Yeah. Yeah, it's not that difficult to get. Um, it's, it's fantastic. Yeah, but I genuinely think you can get it too early. Um, but the next, the remaining items we have now, there's three of them. I think these are well gated. And- and um, we're going to start with the least interesting of them, which is the blue ring. Now, all of these rings require a legless ball to be able to make. It's quite hard to make a legless ball off a level one spiriculus because it's, uh, well, <laughs> you need to cut all eight legs off and you've only got eight wounds to do it in, if I remember correctly. But generally, you can get the legless ball off a level two fairly well uh, and fairly reliably, I should say. And this gives you the blue ring. Now, um, the blue ring, what's the crafting cost on the blue ring, please, Josh? It's three venom sacks and two arachnid hearts. So you need to get three kills at least because there's yeah. only one of each resource. Yeah, exactly. It's a lot of uh, effort to get. It's a unique accessory. It's an item, jewelry, amber. It gives you two armor to the heart arms, so it even provides a little bit of uh, uh, protection. It um, has a affinity all blue, affinity on the left, right, and bottom. Now, if you connect all three of those affinities and join up the puzzle pieces, you gain the ability, if you're the monster controller, when the monster draws an AI card, you draw an extra AI card, select one to play and discard the other. That's a very strong ability. That's basically an automatic rawhide whenever you're the monster controller. Um, and also, even when you're not monster controller, you're getting the passive ability of a little bit of extra armor and the affinities. Uh, it's a solid item. It's good for a support character. Um, I don't build this one very often, but still, you know, it's uh, it's interesting. Uh, just that I named the resources wrong. This is three eyeballs and two stomachs, but they're all three and two of a unique resource. So they all require at yeah. least three kills. Mm-hmm. They're not easy to make these, and that's part of what I think is such a good design on them, uh, or at least on two of them. The next one we'll look at is the green ring. Okay, so same as the previous, it's a item jewelry amber, unique accessory, it gives you two armor to the arms when you wear it. This one has green affinities at the top, right, and bottom. If you connect all three of those in the puzzle, you uh, gain the ability that the first time you're attacked each round, you gain three armor to all lo- hit locations if you are the monster controller. So again, same as the previous one, it plays it off the monster controller, um, card which i like i think that's definitely like a nice mechanic to play with um and this one gives a lot of uh, armor so there's two ways to use this the first one is to put it on a support character so if they do get attacked they've got like an emergency boost of um armor to keep them alive through an attack because three in all locations will soak most of the harder hits um 
or you can have it on a tank and you can kind of manipulate the, the situation. One of the combos that works well with this is with the Slenderman expansion, there is a Gloomhammer that will make the, um, when you successfully wound, it will move the monster controller card to, um, to the person with the hammer. So then the person to their left will become the new monster controller each turn. So you can have guy with hammer, uh, sit, and then sitting to his left is the guy with the green ring. And you can basically loop that over and over and gain three armor repeatedly by being a monster controller. Um, so it's a very fun and it's a, a two survivor hunt combo. And the gloom hammer, when we finally look at it, is an incredibly powerful weapon in itself. So great weapon, a uh, great utility item, very well balanced has some kind of broken combos it can be involved in. It's expensive, though. It's hard to make. That's great. And I'm sure that's something you quite enjoy playing with, Josh, if you get the chance. Yeah, this this looks like to be a fun one, especially with the Gloom Hammer build. Yeah. Okay, last one is the Red Ring. Um, again, item jewelry amber adds two armor to the arms. Unique accessory. Uh, it has a red affinity at the top, bottom, and left this time. Uh, its ability, if you connect all three puzzle pieces, is if you gain a bleeding token while the monster controller, the monster suffers one wound, the limit is twice per round. Okay, so this is dealing automatic wounds, ignoring drawing hit locations, ignoring having to roll to hit. So that in itself is like a very powerful thing to think about. Now, of course, this is kind of tied to you have to be able to get bleeding tokens for it to work. Um... Story of the Young Hero gives the ability to knock yourself down and, and get gain bleeding. So you can actually trigger this. Isn't there also the, uh, what was it, the katana that gives you bleeding tokens when you hit or crit with it, I believe? Yeah, the Muramasa, um, but that can kill you in a single attack, so it's a bit of a risk. Uh, unless you have, um, what is it, unconscious fighter that will let you get up to seven bleeding tokens before you die. But yeah, that, those will both work, um, definitely. And I hadn't thought of using Muramasa. Um, now, the thing here is the Red Ring is a part of a build that basically kills every single monster in the game with no risk. All of them. They don't have a chance. Um, now, the, uh, the the simple sort of underlying thing is you have to be playing with Spidiculus, and you have to have the, the disorders from the Slenderman expansion. Um, there's a Slenderman disorder called Spiral Ganglia that um, it doesn't do anything by itself, but if you get three disorders in a single showdown, you get to give somebody the Clarity of Darkness uh, secret fighting art. Now that makes them basically when they're insane, untargetable. Uh, they can't, the monster can't target them in any way, shape, or form, uh, and it can only hurt them through passive abilities uh, as long as they stay insane. They lose their insanity if they. Um, if they attack, so they become visible if they attack. This it doesn't count if you're hitting something with um, with bleed tokens via the red ring. You're you're harming the monster, but you're not actually attacking while doing it. So what you do is you get your um, clarity of darkness survivor, which um, is not hard to do if the slender man is in the campaign because the slender man tends to give people clarity of darkness anyway. You then get um, the white speaker to turn up and give story of the young hero to that survivor um, so they then have the ability to knock themselves down and gain bead tokens you activate the red ring, put them on them and basically you go to a, a showdown 
all the other three people die or run away via pictographs, whatever you want to do with it, you don't care about them. And then the Slender Man, or the Gloom Man as he's called, will lie down in a corner far away from the monster and gradually bleed it to death over several turns. It's completely, like, safe, with the exception of monsters that uh, attack insanity with their... um, uh, with, with their passive, so it, they have to have an instinct that actually has a chance of hurting you. So most of the monsters don't have that. It's crazy. Like I, I played around with this build, and effectively, once you have it online, if the survivor who could do the Red Ring of Death has Ageless, then you may as well just start a new campaign if you're going to use him because he's just going to kill everything. That's why you give them an Amber Poleaxe also, so they can also stand there and not be a threat and get ran over and do more wounds. Yes, yeah. Although some monsters do target things that are not threats, so. Uh, but yeah. if they have the gloom man ability, then they're not a threat, and or, or they can't be targeted. Yeah. They can still stand in the middle of showdown and just be a tripping spear for exactly. everything. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You've you've got it. So, I think of the three, the red ring is the worst design um, because it either does almost nothing or it's incredibly abusable. This is like not what you should be doing. Uh, when you design your cards, you've got to be thinking about these combinations between multiple expansions coming together. Um, I actually uh, am playing a campaign right now. We've got Clarity of Darkness on a Survivor, and even without the Red Ring, they're utterly ridiculous. Um, just like an unkillable support character. Uh, so it's it's just... But when you put the Red Ring in, it's just insane. It's just utterly ridiculous. Um there's stuff about it on Board Game Geek. Um, I posted about it in my Discord as well a while ago, sort of explaining it all. It's not hard to put this build together, um, and yeah, it's uh, it's kind of entertaining for about two fights, and then you kind of realise that there's there's nothing left. The game it has a red ring, you know. <laughs> so and it just makes me think of the whole Xbox thing that happened so that's long ago. I called, that's why I called it the Red Ring of Death. Yeah. Yeah, um, and that's all of the gear cards, I believe. So I think it's time to kind of talk about the expansion as a whole um, and discuss our thoughts and feelings on it, and wrap things up. and And I've got some suggestions for people who want to play with Spidiculous but aren't thrilled about some of the things they've seen, like myself. So before I go launch into that, what about you guys, um, Matt? How do you feel about the expansion as a whole? <laughs> Uh, I touched on it a little bit before uh, you came on, but it's it's one of those where we were going through everything, and I uh, was thinking, oh, well, the hunt events sound interesting. Uh, the Obviously, the forest wants what it wants is a pretty cool upgrade over Overwhelming Darkness. Um, the actual monster fight itself is pretty unique and interesting. Uh, the gear all seems pretty cool and unique, and I, I like the uh, the extra stuff. But then you have the way that the showdown ends, where he just abducts a survivor, and it's just kind of awful. And couple that with a couple of weird, quirky things, such as the armor set that kind of is difficult to put together, uh, especially with the necessary level 3 resource for the headpiece. I just think that it's... It just misses the mark. It could be really awesome, but it needs some tweaking, personally. That's how I feel on it. Mm-hmm. Josh? Yeah, Matt hit it on the head for me. Uh, it's, it's a lot of interesting things, and it's uh, yeah, there's stuff missing, and just and, and taking it just sucks really bad. Yeah. So, yeah, I am in agreement. I feel that this is... 
of all of the hunt huntable monsters, all of the quarries, this is the expansion that just misses the mark the most. It's got so much potential in it, but so many bad ideas as well. Um, as you said, so uh, Young Rivals is the first time it happens, it's a real gotcha moment. And then you realize how to game it and it becomes absolutely meaningless. Like it doesn't do anything whatsoever. It could have been interesting. So um, that's one thing I think I've taken. As you guys have noted, it feels bad. It's not a fun mechanic. It can cause problems and even cause arguments in groups as it did for um, my groups when it first happened. It caused a lot of bad upset um, more than any of the monster there. Yeah. Then said the armor set is all over the place. It's just not like uh, the best recommendation I've heard from some people is, oh, uh, I just build occasional pieces and add them to other armor sets to kind of like cover gaps until we uh, get a full of that armor set done or something. That's not a good recommendation that it's like a stop gap, especially considering how expensive it is. Then we've got the fact that the weapons are all early game, but you don't get the full armor until the late game. So there's no modeling opportunities between building the armor and the weapons and combining them together. There's a fact that the armor set doesn't combine with any weapons I can think of. It doesn't have any, like, um, it's so generic, so bland that, uh, like, what'd you put on it? A, a, a bow? Um, I don't know. I mean, my, my models are sat over them. They're all holding rare weapons. Like, I've got one with a Muramasa. I've got one with a steel shield and a steel sword. I got one with a thunder hammer. Just because I'm like, well, fuck knows what I'm going to do with these. I may as well just put cool weapons on them I never normally use. You know, it's just so I can paint them and make them look neat. <sighs> um, then there is like the silk bomb is garbage. The red ring is ridiculous to the point of like it's either does nothing or it's unbelievably broken. The silk and nervous system, uh, sorry, the silk bodysuit can be picked up too early. Um, the weaver is like. You get it randomly, and it it's either okay for when you get it, if you get it in the first five years, or it's just terrible. Um, so it's all kind of bad things. Then there's the great stuff, like, I love the innovations, I love the settlement events, I love the Silk Surgeon. I think the showdown fight is unique and interesting and fun. Spiderlings are a great mechanic, they're cute as heck, and they're, they're fantastic to go against. The legless ball is a really fun mechanic, and I want to see more monsters with that kind of, like, where you sort of change the way you're playing to try and get something, not just generate more monster resources, but get something unique and unusual, in this case, a legless ball. Um, and the way the settlement events will tie into it, like if you have a legless ball, you're going to get an extra bonus. If um, you have a legless ball and the spiderlings turn up, they'll roll the ball away if you do badly. It's all... That's all good stuff. Um, so... Just to wrap it all, we'll get to... I've I've basically reached the point where Spidiculous only hits the table if it's house-ruled. I don't, I don't do it any other way. And even house-ruled, it's still not a great expansion. But these are Fen's recommendations. If you've played with Spidiculous and you're kind of like, I want to play with it more, but I feel it kind of sucks, this is how I do it. So first of all, Young Rivals, I have target two male survivors with in the settlement. I don't worry about the hunt XP gate, just two. So this lets you pick um, two of your nameless young male survivors, and then you can decide what to do with them. You you can lump everything on one guy and kill him off. You could like um, have the disorder on him or whatever. You you get to tailor things a little bit, and you can end up with a little bit of narrative story. The event actually means something. 
you can have some consequences of it. Um, it's not still not great because who cares about the rival scar, which is plus one strength and minus one evasion, if I remember correctly. That's not a good trade, but you can have the disorders and things that you get. Second thing is I say uh, we rule that Taken will target a random survivor in the settlement. So what this means is the guys who go out on the hunt are safe, but somebody in the settlement will get Taken in revenge. And for us, that means thematically, we're like, okay, so we've killed this ridiculous. In the meantime, it's kin have attacked our settlement and grabbed one of ours in revenge. So that feels thematically quite good, as opposed to one of the survivors was picked out while they were walking back. That just feels bad and feels a bit wrong thematically. The other thing it does is it, it's a way of countering people who like to leave survivors cooling in the settlement. There's a chance they might get taken. So this is sort of forcing people to, to pull their best survivors out. If you wanted to make it more punishing, you could say the survivor with the highest hunt XP still in the settlement gets taken instead of a random one. But either way, I think taken targeting the um, survivors in the settlement rather than the ones in the hunt party just feels better for everyone involved and still gives that punishing mechanic. On the gear front, I don't have any simple answers at all. Um, I genuinely think that you do not replace the Screaming Antelope if you put Spidiculus in because it's more like hunting a second white lion. So I think you hunt Spidiculus instead of a white lion. Generally, the best way to do this is to have the Gorm, the Screaming Antelope, and Spidiculus in the same campaign. If you want to go super synergy, you would have those three plus the Sunstalker and the Slenderman because all those expansions have a lot that cross together and tie up very well. That's like a campaign recommendation. Gorm, Spidiculus, Screaming Antelope, Sunstalker, Slenderman. Just a great way of playing People of the Lantern. Um, <laughs> but a lot of the gear just needs a good redesign. So I, I, you know, I'm going to take a little plug on my part, which Josh knows about. Has seen um, me start doing this. I'm actually doing a separate People of the Silk campaign where I'm going to redesign all of the gear cards um, and integrate them into the campaign. So I have something I can do with the the models and um, make the armor more interesting, make the weapons a bit more mid gamey rather than late gamey. So it all ties together. Um, and just hopefully make things an alternative way to experience the expansion, experience the content, the good parts of the content, um, and have fun living in a settlement ruled by a deranged ancient Spidiculus. So there we are. That's where I am on house rules. It's the most house ruled of all of the expansions I would play with, like heavily house ruled. Um, I was just thinking another thing. You have the uh, what's the the unique sword? The Weaver. Switch. In the Weaver and the Amber Edge. So you can yeah. craft the Weaver and then the Amber Edge is the one you find out in the hunt. I think that would be a lot more fun. Yeah, I th- think the Weaver would want to be a scimitar then as well. Design-wise, it looks like a scimitar. But yeah, I could see that. Swap, swapping those around is an interesting way of doing it. Yeah. I mean, the Amber Edge is so powerful. Yeah, it's so powerful. And it, then it, it doesn't matter if you get early or late game because it's still a good, it's a good weapon pretty much throughout the game. It is. It is. Instead of getting a useless weapon for hunt later on. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Especially as it's gained so randomly with no control over it. Uh, well, there we are. I mean, if if I was going to say, I think like Spidiculus is like a four out of five, four out of ten expansion. It could have easily been 
a eight or a nine out of ten with people saying you want this alongside the Gorm to make your early game more interesting, but it just it missed the mark just a small amount. Better gear, better tweaking on the events, and we'd have had something that people really loved. Um, the other thing I feel is this is a hundred dollar expansion. I genuinely think it should have had a campaign in the box. Like this is an expansion that's on par with the cost of the Sunstalker and the Dragon King. They come with campaigns in there. We should have had one in here to really like beef out the content because this is a hundred dollar expansion with sixty dollars worth of content. So a real shame. Yeah. Uh, anything you guys like to say to wrap up on it? I think that's good in my book. How about you, Josh? I think that's that's everything. All right, so thank you all for joining us this evening. This was our Great Game Hunters broadcast. Uh, which monster should we be looking forward to next time, Fen? Well, I do believe uh, the next one that turns up in the timeline would be the Manhunter. Ooh, that's exciting. So stay tuned on our next episode of the Great Game Hunters broadcast. We'll be going over the ins and outs of the Manhunter. Very excited to see how that one plays out. Yes, um, yeah. Other than that, I really do appreciate you joining us. Uh, please follow us on all of our social media platforms. You got uh, Twist Gaming on YouTube, Twitch, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and we've got a Discord channel where the conversation's always going on, especially about Kingdom Death. And how about your stuff, Ben? Oh, well, I can be found on um, uh, primarily at my Patreon, which is um, patreon.com forward slash fenpaints. I can also be found on Instagram under slash fenpaints. Uh, I have a Discord that is in my Patreon. It's a small one. Um, we I chat, can chat with my patrons in there a little bit and post up occasional pictures and updates and everything. Uh, otherwise, you can usually catch me either in the Twist Discord, where you can at me there and Generally, I'll respond within a day or so. Um, and also on the Reddit Kingdom Death uh, Discord as well. I'm, I'm in there. Things are quite active at the moment with 1.5 having come out. Yeah. All right. So uh, the last thing to do is uh, point out that this stream and all of this week's streams are sponsored by uh, Mortals Descent of the Gods by Partial Arc Studios, as well as Fruit Ninja by Lucky Duck Games. Go check out those spotlights on video on demand if you haven't done so already. Uh, Josh, do you have anything else you want to add before we sign off? Um, that's everything we do. Uh, we can end this recording now and I'll have a couple other things to say. <laughs> All right, so thank you all for joining us. This is uh, Twist Gaming and Fen signing off. Good night, everyone. Good night. Good night.